Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Leah Walsh, and this is Rosette, the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. This is part one in a 10-part series that we're doing on the 10 Principles of Fair Trade. You've found Rosette the Podcast. I am the host, Leah, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Today we're talking about the first principle of fair trade, which is creating opportunities for economically disadvantaged producers. And that sounds like a big mouthful, but really all it means is creating opportunities for folks who otherwise may not have a lot of them because of the sort of economic forces in the world. So why is this a principle of fair trade? Well, fair trade, as we mentioned in the Fair Trade 101 episode, is really about making sure that working conditions and the price paid for produce and prepared, you know, handicrafts and so on, that all of that is done in a fair way. And part of the reason why we focus internationally for fair trade is because of this principle of uh, looking for which producers are economically disadvantaged and how do we support them? People ask me pretty regularly, are there fair trade products made in Canada? And the short answer is no, but the long answer is kind of, even though not. <laughs> so so if we're talking in very general terms of like people making products with a dignified wage and working in safe working conditions and all of these different things that fair trade sort of strives to do, then a lot of products that are made in Canada are fairly traded or, or under sort of the, the general idea of fair trade principles. We really look at international producers for the most part in the fair trade movement. And the reason for that is that there are certain things that we can't make in Canada or we can't grow in particular. And among those things, coffee, bananas, cocoa, cotton, these are major, major products in Canada that we consume. Typically, we consume them every day or we use them in some capacity every day. The thing about Canada is that it has such a cold climate that it really is not what they consider a producer country. It's not a country where we export a lot more goods than we import. It's not a country where we can actually provide for all of our own wants and needs as consumers. So if you're drinking coffee in the morning, if we take international trade out of the equation, you're not drinking coffee in the morning. You just won't be able to because coffee beans need to be grown at a certain climate that we just don't have. And it's these types of things that we have to be really cognizant of how that product was made because it is out of sight, out of mind. And we run the risk of supporting really unethical production or business practices or what have you, if we're not asking those questions of how were those coffee beans grown. The other thing about 
this particular fair trade principle is that, of course, Canada is already just full of labor protections, labor laws, and they're quite thoroughly enforced. Partly that's because we actually have a relatively small population. And as I mentioned before, we're not really considered a producer country. So we're not actually producing that much. We actually import quite a lot more than we make in Canada. And that makes us primarily a consumer country. So the thing about setting up regulations and enforcing them is that it's a lot easier to do if the people that you are trying to enforce are few and far between. And relatively speaking, that's the case in Canada. We're not producers by nature. We are consumers by nature. We just don't have the climate and we just don't have the growing season because in Canada, about six months of the year is gone to cold weather and snow. So the idea that we would be able to produce everything that we need on our own in the six months that we get good weather is pretty unrealistic unless we have a really a lifestyle that's really heavily dependent on other animals for example, um, you know, for food sources, really depending on like meat and like animal products and so on, then perhaps we could. Um, but because, you know, of course, that tends to be done sort of a lot more automated now and a lot more commercial agriculture is happening and so on. It's really not very sustainable to live that way anymore, even if our ancestors may have done that. So it's really important to remember too, that if you're in a position where things are going pretty well, and there's someone else who's in a position where things are not going well at all, that it makes a lot more difference to help out this person who is not doing so well at all. And that's part of the sort of economically marginalized or disadvantaged producer concept. There are definitely, definitely reasons why, based on the power dynamics in the trade system, you really never hear of Canada getting bullied by Indonesia. There's a certain power structure in international trade where we are relatively speaking in a position of tremendous power. And that means that other countries are relatively speaking in a position of vulnerability, being disadvantaged, being marginalized. And for that reason, we're able to sort of bully these countries into giving us lots of cheap goods for a very low price. And they don't really have a lot of say in it because of the way in which the trade system really applies pressure to countries that have less economic power. Because we are consumers, we are really sought after as Canadians. And that means that we have more bargaining power than most of the people that we're purchasing things from. And so it's really important for us to be aware of that power dynamic. And so when we have a system like fair trade that's trying to create opportunities for economically marginalized producers and makers throughout the world, it's really acknowledging that power dynamic and making sure that we're being responsible about the way that we're doing these trade negotiations. So to recap what this principle means, when we talk about creating opportunities for economically disadvantaged producers, what we're talking about is producers that are in places that don't have the same protections that we do. Because there's relatively few producers and relatively tons of consumers in Canada, it's much easier to regulate and enforce labor conditions than it would be in what is considered a producer country. So a country that produces and exports more things than it consumes. A great example of a producer country is China because they are just 
producing tons and tons and tons of stuff that is sent out all over the world. And even though they have over a billion people, they actually don't consume nearly as much as they produce because they have very, very little arable land. So they're able to pack in all of these factories where they focus on manufacturing. And as a result, they can just crank out tons and tons of stuff through these factories. And they really have become a producer country. It doesn't have to be that you don't consume anything, of course, you know, with over a billion people, they certainly do consume some of the items that they're producing. However, the sheer volume that they produce way exceeds what they're actually consuming as a country. They would also be really importing quite a lot of stuff because like Canada, they struggle with the ability to grow things. So agriculture is going to be a problem there. So even though they are importing items, they're also a very large market, of course, because over a billion people, that's like a eighth of the world or what have you. But they are absolutely producing a lot more than they're consuming as a country. And so that can that makes China, just a really good example of a producer country, whereas Canada is very much a consumer country. We are not producing hardly anything and we're consuming tons of stuff. Again, that comes largely down to our climate. And the second thing is that Canada already has really, really good regulation and enforcement of that regulation when it comes to safe working conditions, labor laws, all of those different things are really strictly regulated and controlled. Because we are not a huge producer country, there's actually relatively few producers to be overseeing. And that makes the process a little bit easier than if, say, we were in China, where there's just tons and tons and tons of producers to be overseeing. Do we produce things? Absolutely. You can go and you should go (laughs) to the farmer's market in the summer and you can get this beautiful vegetables. You can get, you know, locally made baked goods, preserves, all of these wonderful things. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I really encourage that, you know, supporting your local farmers is great. But relatively speaking, the produce and the the agricultural commodities that we're consuming are not necessarily coming from Canada. All of the bananas, the chocolate, the coffee, the sugar cane, all of these different things are relying really heavily on the rest of the world. And as a result, if we're not making sure that they are produced ethically, then that's really where the danger comes in, where you can have a lot of exploitation of those workers. And so this principle of fair trade is really trying to cover that phenomenon where we really want to make sure that we have access to cocoa to make chocolate because we love chocolate and we want to put, you know, chocolate in our brownies or whatever. But where did that chocolate actually come from? Where did those cocoa beans come from? And how were they grown? Because they certainly weren't grown in Ontario. They weren't grown in BC. They were grown probably in West Africa or South America. And so because there are lots of places in West Africa and South America where we struggle again with regulating and enforcing labor standards, then it's possible that there are lots of abuses happening. It's really important to understand that these are like very real problems that we never get to see. However, that doesn't make them less real. And I really encourage you to go to YouTube and look up The Dark Side of Chocolate, which I think the whole film is actually on YouTube. And it's a really good film to show how the the government, you know, thinks that they've regulated it and it's all good. But these people are still able to go into farms, cocoa farms, in I believe it was Cote d'Ivoire, 
and find people who are talking about, yeah, like trafficking children to work on the cocoa farms. And this is stuff that is happening, you know, within the past 10 years or so. So it's not an old thing. It's not um, an obsolete concept. You know, slavery is not over in that sense. We do still have people that are being taken away from their their towns and being brought sometimes across federal borders into the cocoa business and not being paid, being mistreated. Really, you know, these are sometimes very small children even being sent up trees with machetes to cut down cocoa pods. You know, this is something that you would never see in Canada. One person would see it and they'd be completely outraged and they report you to the authorities. But the thing is that, as I say, we have a relatively small producer population to control. So of course, it's really easy to catch that person who's doing the thing wrong because there's not that many people who are doing the thing at all. So I hope this gives you a a good background and a good starting point on what this principle means and why fair trade is really focused on international trade as opposed to domestic trade. Because as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, the short answer is no, Canada doesn't have fair trade. But the longer answer is Canada doesn't really need fair trade that much. And so Canada already kind of has a bunch of fair trade stuff that is like produced under the types of conditions that you would expect a fair trade product to be produced under. And so in a sense, most products made in Canada are fair trade products. Um, But it's not really something that you're going to find a label on. You're not going to see that, you know, Fair Trade International has certified this handmade whatever or like these beans that were grown in the local farm or whatever. This type of stuff is sort of just a given where we live. We're very privileged in that way to be able to just sort of go to work and expect that we're going to have safe working conditions, that we're not going to be forced to work outrageous hours, that we're going to be able to take pee breaks if we have to in the middle of the day, you know, that we have an incredibly robust infrastructure to be able to do maternity leave in a lot of different areas in the workforce in Canada. You know, these types of things are just really completely alien for some workers in the in the world. And so it's really about saying, okay, are these workers producing stuff for me to consume? Because if they are, I don't want them to not have mat leave. I want them to be able to take time off to have their baby. I want them to not be, you know, exploited. I want them to be able to, you know, send their kids to school. I don't want them to be children that should be in school rather than making my my clothing or my soccer ball or my chocolate or whatever it is. And so that's really what we're talking about in this principle is like, how do we apply the types of things that we take for granted to all of the things that we are consuming that are coming from parts of the world that don't have the luxury of taking those things for granted? That's about it for today. And I wanted to thank you for joining us. I have had so much love coming in from the first episode. Thank you so much for your supportive messages. I really appreciate them. If you have any ideas for future podcast topics, please write to me at podcast at rosettenetwork.com. I'm going to put the email also in the show notes for you. And if you have questions, you have suggestions for like guests that you'd like me to find and uh, put on the podcast for an interview for a future episode please let me know. I'm really, I'm so happy with the reception of this podcast. I was really worried it would completely tank. So I really appreciate you. Thank you for for downloading and, and listening to this little show because it's really just me on my own over here. So I really appreciate the support. And please, if you do enjoy the podcast, it helps so, so much if you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. Because as I say, it's just me over here. It's hard to compete with the big podcasts, but these 
tiny steps really make a huge difference for me in being able to gain visibility on the platform. So if you could do that, I would really, really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining me today and I'll see you in the next one. Bye for now.